And I want to see how many of you can guess the right answer. The question is, what is the, if we get it up there, I think we've got it. Where are we? Hello? I guess we don't. All right. What is the fastest growing, I see it up there. What is the fastest growing religious group in the United States today? What is the fastest growing religious group in the United States today? You may say, well, evangelical Christians. You might think Catholics. You might think Pentecostals. Actually, it is a trick question because the fastest growing are those who are called nuns. That is the fastest growing group. These are Americans who are completely religiously unaffiliated. Today, 25% of Americans at all-time high claim no religious identity at all. And to be honest, in a way, you really can't blame them, and I'll tell you why. Choosing a religion can be very frustrating and very confusing because on the surface, it appears that religions are kind of radically different. And at the end of the day, practically every question is basically trying, every religion is basically trying to answer the same two questions. Number one, how do you relate to God? And number two, how can you have a relationship with God? And, and, and not only does it appear that I meant to say that all religions are basically the same, but because they don't just ask the same questions, they basically all give the same answer. And this is the answer that they give. How you live before you die determines where you go after you die. That's what religions say. And so you're sitting there going, well, if they're basically the same and they're asking basically the same question and they're all basically trying to give the same answer, that is what you do this side of death determines what happens to you on the other side of death, then how do you choose which one's the right religion? And from all of this comes many religious debates. For example, there are some people who say, I had a man tell me this Wednesday night. I was in his home. He said, I don't think it matters what religion you practice. I think you just ought to sincerely believe whatever it is you believe. Just pick whatever religion that you like. Because after all, we're all trying to get to the same place. We're just taking different paths. Then you've got some people who say, no, there's only one religion that has the right prescription and the right formula for all the things you have to do if you want to be rightly related to God. Well, when you realize that you've got over 4,200 options to choose from, when you realize you're at a buffet of all these religious alternatives, then it really isn't any wonder that more and more people are throwing up their hands and saying, uh, Alex, I'll take none for a 1,000. I, I just, I just, I, I'm just not interested. I just, I can't figure it out and I don't want to figure it out. And that is why the book that we've been studying called Galatians is not only relevant to this whole discussion, it's very, very refreshing. Now, for those of you who may be visiting for the first time, let me just kind of tell you, we're in a book called Galatians. It's in the New Testament. I'll tell you a little more about that in a moment. But let me tell you what's going on in this book. This book is a letter that a man by the name of Paul wrote to a group of believers in Galatia. He had planted a church there. He had been on mission there. And there was a problem that cropped up in the church. There was just at that time, for many people, one religion. And he was dealing with it. It was called Judaism. Paul was a Jew, and there were some people that had infiltrated this church, and they were called Judaizers. You don't need to remember that, but they were called Judaizers, and here's what they were doing. They claimed to be Christians. They claimed to be followers of Jesus, 
But they had gotten into the church and they said, look, Jesus is not enough. Faith is not enough. Grace is not enough. If you really want to have a relationship with God, you've got to keep God's law. You've got to do good works. You've got to live the right kind of life in order to have a relationship with God. Now, again, Paul is a former Jew himself. So he wrote this book, not just to Jews, though he did write to Jews. He actually wrote it to all religious people. And here's what he says in the book. If you want to have a relationship with God and you want to be right with God, buckle your seatbelt, you've got to lose your religion. Did you hear me? If you want to be right with God, and you want to have a relationship with God, you have got to lose your religion. Now, here's where I am. I'm in a book called Galatians. And by the way, if you didn't get one of these, I hope you did. You can pull out your little booklet. We've even got the scripture for you. And uh, in fact, I'll just try to look this up right now. The passage I'm actually going to be in is on page eight and 10, okay? So you can just take your little book and you can look on. But we're in this book called Galatians. And as hard as it is to believe, I'm going to say something that may shock a lot of you, and I'm a pastor saying this. Being religious, trying to do the rituals, trying to obey the rules, trying to follow the regulations, trying to keep the restrictions. Are you ready for this? It will not only get you any closer to God, it may actually keep you from ever getting to God. You say, you're kidding. Oh, no, I'm not. Trying to do everything you know to do to be right with God may actually not get you closer to God. It may keep you from knowing God. That's why we've entitled this series, Free at Last. Because one of the truths that Paul's been trying to drive home to these early Christians and these early believers in Galatia was, Jesus did not come to introduce us to a new religion. Jesus actually came to deliver us from all religion so we could enter into a relationship with the God who's not captured by any religion. And he's dealing with these people called Judaizers who are trying to tell these early Christians what a lot of people still believe. There are people in this room that still believe it. There are people that live next door to you still believe it. This is what the vast majority of the world believes. They really believe, those who have any interest in God at all, they still believe, if I want to get right with God and stay right with God and be right with God, I've got to keep the Ten Commandments. I've got to obey the laws. I've got to follow the rules. I've got to observe the regulations. There are certain things I better do and certain things I better not or I will never be right with God. And let me tell you what Paul does and it is brilliant. Paul says, you really believe that. You really believe the way to get right with God is depending on what you do for God. He says, okay, I'm gonna to appeal to the very law you say you've got to keep. I'm going to appeal the very, to the very commandments you think you, you say you've got to obey. I'm going to appeal to that law, and here's what I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you that the law was never designed to do what you want it to do. The law cannot do what you want it to do. The law cannot co accomplish what you want it to accomplish. And he shows us even the law of God can't get you to God. The Ten Commandments cannot get you to God. So whether it is the laws that are that's found in your Bible or if you are of, a, of another religion, whatever particular religious book or code you have, that law, those laws, those religious observations will never get you to God. And so Paul says, let me just take my law. 
Let me take what we believe is God's law. Let's take, we'll just say the Old Testament law and let me show you what's true about that law. All right, number one, the law is a curse, not a cure for sin. The law is a curse, not a cure for sin. Now, Paul is dealing with people who love to quote the Old Testament. They were going back to the Old Testament and he decides I'm gonna fight fire with fire. So he quotes the Old Testament law, and here's what he shows. He shows how the law actually curses itself. He said, this is going to shock you. The law, you ready for this? If you don't hear anything else, this is a statement I want you to hear. The law does not commend people who try to keep it. The law does not commend people who try to keep it. It actually condemns people because they can't keep it. Did you hear what I said? The law does not commend people who try to keep it. It condemns people because they can't keep it. So let's see what, the, what Paul says about the law. As a matter of fact, keep in mind, he's actually quoting the law. For all who rely on the works of the law, let me just stop right there. You're relying on going to church. You're relying on baptism. You're relying on singing in, in, on, on stage. You're relying on the fact that you read your Bible. You're relying on the fact that you give money to the church. You're relying on all these things. Paul says, if you're relying on the law, works of the law, you are under a curse. And then he says, don't take my word for it. Let's quote what the law says, for it's written. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do. Can y'all see that word? Can y'all say that with me? Say it real loud. Say it emphatically. Everything. That's what God says. God says, okay, you, well, you want to do it your way. You, you, you're the Home Depot guy. I'm going to do this my way. Great. You got to keep it all. You got to keep it perfectly or you're under a curse. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. What's the book of the law? He's talking about the Old Testament. So here's what he's saying. He's saying if your goal, if you think the way you get to God is to be religious enough and to be good enough and to be obedient enough to get to God, you're under a curse. Now listen carefully. The curse is not, is not disobeying the law. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, now if you disobey the law, you're under a curse. That's not the curse. The curse is if you don't obey the law perfectly. That's the curse. He says, you're under, a law, you're under a curse. If you're going to perform your way to God, You've got to meet his standard, not yours. What is God's standard? It's perfection. Why is God's standard perfection? Well, think about it. God's law is perfect. The law says it is, and it is perfect. God is perfect. When I think about this, if God's law is perfect, and God is perfect, and you want to have a relationship with God, you can only draw one conclusion. I've got to keep the law perfectly to have a relationship with a God who is perfect. See, here's our problem. One of the problems we have in understanding how God's law operates is we kind of want to see the way the law of God operates compare it to the way the laws of humanity operate. So let me give you a practical example. Here's what we do when it comes to keeping the human law. We grade ourselves on the curve, right? So for example, I've had people say things like this. Well, you know, I've told a lie, but I've never committed perjury. Or, uh, well, yeah, I'm, I cheated on a test when I was in school, but I've never cheated on my taxes. Or, um, yeah, when I was little, I stole a cookie, but, but I've never robbed a bank. 
Or, you know, um, I've gotten in a lot of fights and I've kind of bullied people at times, but I've never killed anybody. I've heard it all my life. You've heard it. You've thought this. And so here's what we say. Yeah, I've not been perfect, but I've been good. I've been a lot better. Hey, I'm a lot better than the guy on death row. I'm a lot better than the guy that robbed a bank. I'm a lot better than the guy. I may have cheated on a test. I've not cheated on my wife. And so we kind of grade ourselves on the curve. And here's the truth of the matter. You're right in a sense. You're not going to go to jail for telling a lie. I mean, it's not perjury. The IRS is not going to come after you if you cheat on a test. Just don't cheat on your taxes. You're not going to be locked up for stealing a cookie. Just don't rob a bank. Here's the problem. God's law doesn't operate that way. God doesn't grade on the curve. A perfect lawgiver who is given a perfect law demands perfect obedience to that law. And God says, if you've broken one law, it doesn't matter whether it's a felony or a misdemeanor. It doesn't matter if the law's this long or the law's this short. If you've broken one law, you may as well have broken every law. So let me put it to you another way. I don't know how it is now because everything's changed. When I was in school, an A would be 90 to 100, a B would be 80 to 89, a C was 70 to 79, D was 60 to 69, F was anything below um, 60, right? So in God's school, there's only two grades, A plus and F. There's no B students, there's no C students, there's no D students. It's A plus or F. Now here's the problem. If you make 100, what do you get? Somebody tell me. You get an A plus, right? If you make 99, what do you get? You get an F. You don't get an A minus, you get an F. That's the only two grades that God has. Why? You say, man, he's some kind of a hard-nosed, tough professor. No, that's not the problem. He's perfect. And he's holy. And because of that, he demands a holiness and a perfection we cannot produce. You know, all of my life, I've heard people try to argue with me about what I teach and what I preach in, in, in the Christian faith because, you know, we preach grace. You know, you're saved by grace through faith. And I've heard people say, yeah, but I'll tell you what the problem is. You, I, I'm worried about cheap grace. You know what cheap grace is, right? You know, they'll say this. They'll say, you better be careful how you preach the grace of God because you better be careful when you tell people that they'll just trust in Jesus and they'll accept his death for their sins. They can be saved. They can have a relationship with God and they can go live any way they want to. Well, first of all, I've never preached that because that's not true. Because once you're saved by grace through faith, you don't go live the way you want to. You live the way God wants you to. But, let's, but, but, but here's my point. People are so worried about cheap grace. I got a bigger problem with cheap law. You say, what do you mean? We've got this idea that God will accept anything less than perfection and especially anything less than the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And he will not. So here's the central point. Make it as plain as I can. If you're trying to do enough, if you're trying to be enough, if you're trying to give enough, to get God's approval and God's acceptance, I got bad news for you. You are under a curse right now. You're living with a cloud of curse over your head. Why? Because you will never be good enough for God. The law is not a cure for sin. It is the curse of sin. Then he says something else. He says the law is a barrier, not a bridge to God. 
The law is a barrier, not a bridge to God. Now look, if what Paul said is true, then his next conclusion naturally follows. Listen to this. He says in Galatians 3 verse 11, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God. So Paul makes it very plain. If you're relying on trying to keep the 10 commandments, let's just focus on those. If you're relying on trying to keep the 10 commandments to be justified, to be justified before God, you are automatically condemned. He's already declared you guilty because you have not perfectly kept all the commandments. And the one thing that every person that's ever lived or ever will live that needs to understand is to be right with God, to be right with God is to be justified. That's what it means. If you're right with God, you're justified. The problem is the law can't do that for you. The law is not a bridge to God. The law is a barrier to God. It's not, I mean, here, this, this is mind-boggling. Paul says the Ten Commandments, they're not actually a bridge that will get you to God. They are actually a wall that will keep you from God. And by the way, what many religions are trying to do and claim to do is to get you justified before God. They say that's what they're trying to do. And I understand you may be asking a question right now. You say, wait a minute. So if God's law doesn't help me get to God, and if God's commandments doesn't help me get to God, then I just got one question, and it's a good question. Why did God give the law and the commandments to begin with? Well, Paul answers that question. Let's skip down to verse 21. He said, is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? What he's saying is, hey, the law's good. Let's don't blame the law. There's nothing wrong with the law. He says, if the law is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. Far. If a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin. So now let me make it plain. I'm gonna hope, hopefully the light's about to come on. Why did God give the Ten Commandments? You ready? Not to show us how to be good. It was given to show us we're not. And a lot of people never understand that about the law. The law didn't give, God didn't give the Ten, ten Commandments to us to say, now, you keep those ten, you're okay, I'm okay. You do those ten, you obey those ten, you keep those ten, you're good to go, we're good to go. No, no, no. God gave the Ten Commandments and then said, by the way, you can't do that. If you want to get to me your way, this is what you have to do, but you can't do it. The law was never, ever, ever designed to do that. It can't do it. In other words, let me put it to you this way. The law illuminates our faults. It can't eliminate our faults. The law will show you how bad you are. It can't tell you how to be good. It can't get you to where you need to go. The law tells us, here's, here's what the law does. It tells you what a godly life looks like, and then it tells you how ungodly we are. It tells you, this is what you'd have to do if you could do it to get to me, but the problem is you can't do it. God's law can't make you innocent. It can only prove you're guilty. Let me give you an illustration. You're in a trial before a judge. It's a judge trial. There's only one person in that room 
that can either condemn you as guilty or can confirm you as innocent. There's only one person in that room that can either punish you or pardon you. All right? Somebody tell me, I just gave you the answer. Who is that? That's the judge, right? The prosecuting attorney cannot pass sentence on you. And the defense attorney can't set you free. The only one that can do either one of those things is the judge. Likewise, the one thing we've got to have, the one thing we've got to have that absolutely must be true if we're going to be allowed into the presence of God, we've got to have God's approval. We've got to receive God's justice, we, uh, 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 acceptance. We've got to be justified by the supreme judge and only God can do that. Religion cannot justify you. Keeping the law will not justify you. Obeying the commandments will not justify you. Getting baptized will not justify you. Giving money to the poor will not justify you. There's nothing wrong with any of those things or all of those things, but those things are not a bridge to God. They are a barrier to God because you cannot keep the law perfectly. So you will never be justified either by your religion or by your righteousness you can only be justified if one, thing's one thing happens. You ready? If God says you are innocent. If God says you are acquitted. If God says you are justified. And that leads to the third point. And that is, the law is a reference for, not a rival with Jesus. The law is a reference for, not a rival with Jesus. All right, now, now we've got a problem. We know what the problem is now, okay? The law is perfect, but we're not. And only a perfect person could ever have a relationship with a perfect God. And the only way we can ever be perfect on our own is to achieve perfection. But we already know we can't do that. As a matter of fact, we already know we're under this curse. But this same law now refers us to one who is perfect. And this same law now points us to someone who can remove our curse because he perfectly kept the law. Who is it? Jesus. The law says, hey, the bad news is you can't keep the law. The bad news is you're under a curse. The bad news is you're trying to get to God your way. You'll never make it. The bad news is you're trying to be good enough for God to accept you. You will never be good enough for God. But then the law says, but there's one who has, and there's one who is, and there's one who did. Listen to this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Then he goes back to the law again, for it's written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Now, you see that word redeemed, all right? Most of you know what that means. When you redeem something, you pay for something, you buy it back. It's a legal term. And back in the day, it referred to how a slave's freedom would be gained. A slave would be freed because he would be bought. His freedom would be bought by another person. In other words, the only remedy for our faults and our failures and our foul-ups and our mistakes and our mess-ups, here's the only remedy. The remedy's not religion. The remedy is not rules. The remedy is not regulations. The remedy's not restrictions. The remedy is not righteousness. The remedy is redemption. That is the only thing that will free you from the curse. That is the only thing that will get you to God. Now, why do we need redemption? 
Because our problem is not that we're sinners and we sin. That's not our biggest problem. It's worse than that. We are slaves to sin. We are born in slavery to sin. And if you know anything about slavery, you know there's only one antidote for slavery. Freedom. The only thing a slave wants is to be free. That's, that, that's his only desire in life. I want to be free. So the only antidote for freedom, I mean for slavery, is freedom. And the only way to freedom is redemption. So you take, for example, let's take two slaves. Okay, let's just imagine, take two slaves. It doesn't matter if one slave is a good slave and one slave is a bad slave. It doesn't matter if one slave is a crooked slave and one slave is an honest slave. It, it, it doesn't matter if one slave is, 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 is a, um, um, a religious slave and one slave is not a religious slave. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if one slave goes to church and the other slave doesn't go to church. It doesn't matter if one slave does good things and the other slave does bad things. Doesn't matter. At the end of the day, what are they both still? They're still slaves. Absolutely doesn't matter. Absolutely is irrelevant. If both slaves decide to be the best slaves they can be, if both slaves get up in the morning and say, you know what, today, I'm gonna be the best slave I know how to be, that's good. But you're still a slave. Still a slave. One thing is true. You'll never be good enough to get out of your slavery. So I kind of put, I thought about this, so I thought this is a good way to put it. So for those of you who still are trying to hold on to this, how am I gonna get right with God? Well, I hope I've been good enough. I hope my good outweighs the bad. I've tried to keep the commandments. Why do you think I come to church? I hope you'll hear it this way. The law wants you to write a check that your life can't cash. Did you hear that? The law wants, to write, wants you to write a check that your life can't cash. The law says, do this, don't do that. Go here, don't go there. Say that, don't say this. Drink this, don't drink that. Eat this, don't eat that. And here's what we've already seen. For you to think that's the way you get right with God is an insult to God. It's an insult to the law of God. You don't even understand what the law of God is all about. See, the problem is we're enslaved to sin. So let me put it to you, let me, let me put it to you even in a more harsh way. We're all felons in the eyes of God. All of us. All of us have the same problem. We've all broken his law. And what Paul is saying is all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put you back together again. Can't happen. So we've got to realize the fact we can't keep the law. But the wonderful thing is the law also shows us we need someone who can keep it and there is one who did keep it and his name is Jesus. And because he kept the law perfectly, when he died, he removed the curse of the law by taking our punishment for breaking the law. So the law was given to show us two things, all right? Number one, we're not perfect. We can't keep the law. Let me just stop right there. If you don't believe that statement right there, not only is there something wrong with you, seriously, something wrong with you. Number two, I've wasted all this message on, because you had not heard anything I've said. No, we're not perfect and we can't keep the law. Now, most of you say, oh no. Yeah, I get that. Well, if you get that, then you have to get this. We need a savior 
who is perfect, who can keep the law. That's what we need. So the, 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 the remedy is not, I'll do better. The remedy is not, well, I'll try harder. The remedy is not, I'll be more religious. The remedy is not, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll quit this, I'll quit that. That's not the remedy. That doesn't help. Since lawbreakers and lawbreaking have to be punished, Jesus took our punishment for us. So Jesus took the curse for us so he could take the curse from us. And that's why the one thing we've got to have to be free from sin and shame and guilt and grief is not found in religion. It's not found in rule keeping. It's not found in regulation. It's not found in righteousness. It is found in redemption at the cross of Jesus Christ. So you will never be right with God until you lay down the law and lose your religion to Jesus. So last thing, the law is an advocate for, not an addition to faith. It is an advocate for, not an addition to faith. Now, Paul comes to this climactic statement when he reminds us, you know, that the law, when he reminds us that what the law tells us to achieve, the Lord tells us to receive. So here's his conclusion. It's clearly No one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by, not by religion, not by obeying the law, not by keeping the rules, not by doing your best, not working your hardest. It will live, you will live by faith. And then he goes on to say this. He redeemed us in order that the blessing, now he he knows what he's doing. Remember, he's talking to these Jews. So he goes to their father, Abraham. He gives the redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So here's the point Paul's trying to make to us today in the 21st century. You want God to accept you? Yes, I do. Well, he he will only accept you one way. And it has nothing to do with your performance. It has nothing to do with your position. It has nothing to do with your popularity. It is not a matter of what we do for him. It is a matter of accepting what he has done for us. And you simply do it by faith. And oh, by the way, why did you go back to Abraham? You know why? Because he's answering another question. That's the way it's always been. There are some of us in this room and some listening right now, and you probably have thought, yeah, I get it. The way you're saved in the New Testament is you're saved by grace through faith. But now the way they were saved in the Old Testament was they kept the law. Number one, show me one person that was saved by keeping the law in the Old Testament. Nobody kept it. That was the problem because the law was never designed to do that. No, you know how people were saved in the Old Testament? Same way they're saved in the New Testament. God's always been a God of grace and it's always been by faith. See, in the Old Testament, people understood We're not saved by keeping the law. They understood they couldn't keep the law perfectly. You say, how do you know they understood that? Because blood of lambs is flowing all throughout the Old Testament. Why do you think the Jews set up camp and made sure when they set up camp, they had an altar and they had lambs. They had a priest. They'd make sure they would sacrifice those lambs. Why do you think that millions of lambs and untold millions of gallons of blood was shed? Because they got it. We're looking at a picture of redemption. A price has to be paid for my sin. You do the crime, you pay the time. So when that priest would take that little lamb, 
He slit the throat of that lamb. He'd pour out that blood. That sacrifice would be placed on the altar. Here's what would happen. By faith, the people trusted that God would take that sacrifice and until the ultimate sacrifice was made through Jesus, they would accept by faith that sacrifice as a payment for and redemption of their sins. That's why the message of the Old Testament is exactly the same as the message of the New Testament. People were saved in the Old Testament by looking to Jesus. People were saved in the New Testament by looking back to Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It's always been about grace. It's always been about faith. It's never been about religion. It's never been about obeying the commandments. It's never been about keeping the law. The law always pointed to grace, not goodness. It always pointed to faith, not fulfillment. That's why there's always going to be only two choices you'll have and two choices you'll make when it comes to having a relationship with God, finding acceptance with God, and knowing God. So let me just get something straight. Do you have right now a true, real, lasting relationship with God? That's not a hard question. I'm gonna help answer it for you. It's real easy. What are you depending on? Your goodness or God's grace? If you're depending on your goodness, you don't have a relationship with God. You can't have a relationship with God. You're under a curse or God's grace or your religion or his redemption. So let me make it plain and we'll just cross every barrier, every line. Let's take them all. Being a Baptist or a Methodist or a Presbyterian or a Lutheran or a Catholic or an Episcopalian or a Muslim or a Jew or a Hindu, just name them all, doesn't matter. Every one of those things I just mentioned are not only irrelevant to whether or not you have a relationship with God, they can actually keep you from getting to God if that's what you're depending on to get to God. It has nothing to do. You've got to lose your religion. Because I'll say it again, Jesus didn't die on the cross so we could have a brand new religion. Jesus died on a cross to show us you can have a relationship with God. That's the way it's always been. So here's the bottom line. You're either trying to do everything that you know to do for God, or you're trusting in all that God has done from you. So from one end of the Bible to the other, the primary message of the Bible is this. The lawmaker became the law keeper and died for me, a lawbreaker. The lawmaker became the law keeper and died for me, a lawbreaker. And when you finally understand that and you lay down the law and you lose your religion, you'll find everything you need to be right with God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.